The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Before we get started, I I do have uh, a quick announcement Quick but uh, significant announcement. So um, as most of you know, we have been in prayer. I, I mean, in prayer looking for the next location for our church, where we are going to gather as we look forward. Um, maybe you're not aware of this, but we, we started in the Stone Oak community. That's why we're named Stone Oak Bible Church, and uh, we uh, we minister, we were doing ministry there. And when COVID nineteen hit, it, it did shift things for us. Schools shut down, gathering spaces shut down, and we were so grateful to find this place that allowed us to continue to gather and um, and to worship. The cool thing is, we have cars. So, so we can do this still. So we're, we're grateful for Living Rock, but we have been praying, Lord, what would you have next? And uh, we actually put a team together to, to look. And uh, whew, lots of no's, lots of closed doors. Um, in fact, last Sunday, I stood up here around this time and uh, just kind of did an all call to prayer saying, church, would you pray with us? We're hitting some closed doors. Would you pray with us? And uh, <laughs> I get goosebumps just thinking about what I get to do today, which is to say um, the Lord has opened the door. <laughs> and uh, it's incredible because um, to stand up here and say, hey, church, let's pray, and then God to provide. Uh, we shouldn't be, I shouldn't be surprised by it, but man, I am, uh, I am grateful. So, as I, as I said, the Lord's opened a door. He opened a door that has been closed for a long time. We've actually asked about this space a couple times because of its location and uh, have gotten a big no. Uh, COVID changes things. So um, our next location, we're going to be meeting at the San Antonio Shrine Auditorium right on the access road of 1604, right off, right before, between Blanco and Stone Oak. Um, it's an event center. They, they host, you know, a, a ton of different kinds of events. They've always been closed, though, to churches meeting on an ongoing basis uh, until, until now. And so uh, we get to proclaim the gospel of Jesus from this location for the next season of ministry. Um, we're going to be giving a lot more details. We have a lot more to unpack about this um, coming up. We're actually going to be having a pastor's chat in the next couple weeks because this move will change some things. Um, and we want to be very clear as we make this move on a couple of things. And so we're going to be giving you more information as we go. But for now, for this morning... Can we just take a moment and uh, God is good. Amen. Whew, I could say a lot more. I could say a lot more, but um, I have a confession to make. We have a, a, a text that's uh, ahead of us. That is a lot, um, a whole lot. So we are going to get straight to work this morning on in this text. Um, 
And by the way, just to finish up the location discussion, like I said, we're going to be giving more details. Our first Sunday will actually be March 7th in that new location. Um, and so we'll be kind of filling out all these details as we move forward. And, and our elders, we are here for you if you have any questions whatsoever, okay? All right. Let's get to work. If you have your Bibles, would you grab them? Would you open with me to the book of Romans? Um, we are, have been working through uh, Romans for a while now, and we've been walking through Romans 8 for the last couple weeks, and we are going to continue this. And our text today uh, picks up, starting in verse 12, picks up right where Paul has left off. So Paul has been talking about the the main idea of the Christian life being the life that is in the Spirit, in the Spirit, the indwelled life. And so our text picks up right on off this, and you'll, you'll notice that the first two words, if you are using the English Standard Version of, of um, the Bible, you will notice that it starts with a so then. That's a because statement. That's saying, hey, because it, it points us back to what we just looked at. And so in the, the spirit of getting us to where we need to be to, to walk through this text, I want to read verse 11 for us as we get started and focus our attention on verse 12 and, um, and forward. Verse 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And remember we talked, that's not just an if, that, that, that's a sense. If you're in Christ, that's true. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Paul says, so then, points back to that, because that is true. So what we're going to look at today, in other words, is based on the fact that the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus, now dwells in you. And because of that, what we are looking at today is true. So Paul says this, so then, brothers, sisters, so then, he says, we are debtors in verse 12. If you read that, you're like, well, that doesn't sound awesome. Being in debt is not an awesome thing. Like, that sounds kind of bad. It doesn't sound like a good thing. Yet, Paul has just told us that we are debtors. We who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, are now under an obligation as a debtor, only it's not what you think. So Paul says this, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. In other words, you are not debtors the way you once were. And follow, so, by the way, follow with me here. So over the past couple of weeks, as we've been looking at Romans 8, this will help us as we go forward. Um, Paul has been setting out two paths. If you've been with us, you, you've followed with us on these two paths that he's put before us. On this hand, we have the flesh, and on this hand, we have what Paul calls the spirit. On this hand, we have the flesh and the spirit. And fundamentally, these are two different paths. They're not the same. They, are, they, they, they don't go in the same direction. They don't land in the same place. There are two different, distinct paths that we can be on. And on this hand, in the flesh, Paul says we live according to the flesh. We do what the flesh tells us to do. We are led by our desires and we do what it says. We are debtors to the human nature on this side. 
On this path, we set our minds and our thoughts on things of the world, on things of the flesh. And this path, the destination, leads us to death. So on this path, we are slaves to the flesh. We do what it says. We follow its impulses. We get angry when it tells us to get angry. We get anxious when it tells us to get anxious. We follow the, 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 the move, the lead of the flesh on this side. We go where it tells us to go. See, we might on this side think that we're free because we don't have some God telling us what we can and cannot do. But for all of us whose eyes have been opened on this path, you know you're not free. It's a path of bondage. We are being led by it. Our impulses, our sinful nature. So on this path, the path of the flesh, we live according to that master. According to that master. But then Paul shows us a different path, and it's in in complete contrast. And on this side, we have the Spirit, where we live according to the Spirit. We do what the Spirit leads us to do. We follow its impulses. We follow its leadings. We are debtors to, to God. And on this path, Paul says, we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We set our perspective. And this is, again, in such contrast to what we saw in the flesh. And on this path, whereas this one led to death, this one leads to life and peace, Paul says. On this path, we are bondservants of Christ, as Scripture says. We do what he says. We follow his leadings. In other words, let's get practical. We no longer need to get angry. When our flesh tells us to get angry, we no longer need to listen and become anxious when our flesh is saying, Justin, be anxious. Because that's no longer our master. We're under new ownership. We have a new master's. We are debtors to another. This is what Paul is driving home. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not though on this path according to the flesh, living to the flesh, not under that master. We're no longer debtors to the flesh. But Paul continues, for if we live according to the flesh, you will die. Again, this path, the flesh path, that's where it ultimately leads to death. And he's already told us this. He's reiterating this. And then he points us to the other path that says, but if the spirit, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So if you're led by the flesh, debtors to the flesh, you are led to death. When you're led by the spirit, debtors to Jesus, you're led to life. Now, this is where Paul is going to introduce us to a huge idea as we consider these two paths. And so we're going to spend our time this morning, because there is a profound difference between slavery and sonship, as Paul puts forward in this text. The path of the flesh is a path to slavery. The pathway of the spirit is a path to sonship. Now, let's look at this. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
Let's not miss over these, these little words, even the small words, like the word all, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons and daughters of God. Uh, I do want to take a quick time out, though, before we get into the bulk of this, um, for a quick clarification. And I understand this might not make me, it might not earn me popularity points, but I'm not popular anyway, so it does not matter. Um, but this is probably, eh, there's a popular belief that all of us, that all humanity are children of God. All of us. All mankind. And hear me, I want to be clear here, in one sense, I agree with you and Scripture agrees with you. In one sense. Um, we believe as the, the word of God puts before us, we believe in the sanctity of all human life, the dignity of all human life. We believe that all men are created in the imago Dei, the image of God. We believe that, we hold to that, we believe we are created in the image of God, all life. And in that sense, yes, we are sons of God in that he is our creator. Uh, in fact, we, we see Paul, our man Paul, same Paul who wrote Romans, uh, we see our man Paul say this very same thing in Acts 17. You can look there on, your, on your, your own time. But in Acts 17, he's standing in front of the crowd at Mars Hill. And, he, and he's reasoning with them. He speaks to them directly. And he, he, he calls to the fact that we're all created by God, made by him. And he actually calls us all the offspring of God. The offspring of God. You can read that. It's uh, 17 verses 22 through the end. Um, so in that sense, I radically agree with you. Scripture agrees with you. We are children of God, all of us, because we're created by God, all of us. However, in another sense, and in the sense that Paul is talking about here in Romans, Scripture does not say that all mankind has been adopted as sons and daughters of God through the work of Jesus Christ, given sonship through Jesus. Scripture does not say that all mankind is given the right to come before God and say, Abba, Father. Scripture does not say that. Paul just said, for all who are, what? Who are led by the Spirit are of God, are sons of God. Those who are on this path, not this path, those who are on this path, the path of the Spirit, are sons, adopted sons of God. And on this path, we are given sonship in Christ, through Christ. So we absolutely, let's just state this again, we absolutely believe that all of us are created by God in God's image with all sanctity and all dignity of all human life. We agree with that. We proclaim that. And yet, we also believe, as Scripture teaches, that some receive adoption through Jesus Christ, sonship, that some are on this path, the path of the Spirit, that some are able to come before God and cry out, Abba, Father. Um, in other words, just cut through it. We are not universalists. We do not believe that Scripture teaches that all humanity is going to make it in the end if they're just good or good-intentioned. We do not believe that all humanity, even if they're on this path pursuing it, will somehow find their way back over here. We do not believe that because Scripture does not teach that. And an honest pastor moment here, I wish it did. 
I would love to be standing here today and saying, guys, in the end, it doesn't matter. You're gonna, all of us are gonna go to heaven to be with Jesus for all eternity. Don't worry, we're all sons and daughters of God. All of us will be saved in the end. I wish that I could preach that, but here is the reality. I am not God, and I do not know what is best, and the gospel is not mine to modify, to change, or to alter in any way, and if I did, it would be less good, and so I will not preach that. Instead, I will preach what scripture says, and this is it. There are two paths, the path of the flesh and the path of the spirit, and there are two destinations, There are two identities here. And Paul says, on this path, the path of the Spirit, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so church, what does that mean? What does it mean that you are the adopted son or daughter of God? What does that mean? What does this text say about your sonship in Christ? What does this text say about you in Jesus? We have a lot of work to do. In this text, what we're going to do is we're going to spend the rest of our time, there are seven things. Normally, good sermons include three points, and they start with the same letter. I am blowing that up. There are seven things here that we see from this text that we are just going to unpack as we walk through this. And as we do this, I believe that this is going to be, that some of these points are going to be exactly what you need to remind yourself of when it comes to your identity. You don't have to write these down. They're coming. We're going to walk through them slowly, but we're going to walk through our motivation as sons and daughters Our relationship, our identity as sons and daughters, our assurance, our inheritance as sons and daughters of God, our suffering, and our glorification as sons and daughters of God. That's where we're going. Let's start with our motivation. Our motivation as sons and as daughters of God. What is your motivation as a child of God? Why do you live the way you live? Why do you walk the path the way you walk? What is your motivation? Paul says, for we do not receive the spirit of slavery. Remember? That, that in, to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. So I want you to hear me, church. The motivation for us as children of God is not fear. It's not fear. And just another, I do need to take one other quick time out here because, church, I don't know what your earthly father was like. I don't know what he was like. And chances are that some of you come from homes where, where you didn't have a father in your home at all um, in your life. And some of you might come from really difficult situations of brokenness. And of pain, fathers who may have hurt you, fathers who were far, far from perfect, fathers who did not represent well the love of Jesus, 
For many of you, you have baggage around the idea of father. In fact, statistics tell me that 18.3 million children today, that's 25%, one in four, do not have a father in the home at all. So chances are we have some different ideas associated with the idea of father. And when I talk about being a son or a daughter of God and our God as the father, some of you do not have a good point of reference on the human side for what that should look like. In fact, some of you have lenses that you view it through that distort, that cause pain when you think of the idea of adoption, sonship, fatherhood. And the reason I say this is because your heavenly father, church, is perfect. He is not like your earthly father. His love for you is perfect. He will not ever leave you. He will not ever abandon you. He will not ever hurt you. And because that's true, our relationship with him is not one based on fear, but in love. Um, I have three little boys. I'm going to talk about them a couple times this morning. I told them I would. Um, but my hope for them is not just that they would be well-behaved. My hope for them is not, not just that they won't act up because they know daddy's coming for them. That's not my hope for them. My hope, my prayer, is that they have a different motivation than that. My hope, my prayer, is that I can shepherd their hearts and that their motivation for their actions will not be fear, but one of love, that they would desire to do good because it is good. That's my prayer for my boys. Not fear, and as I think about our loving Heavenly Father, as I think about myself as his, as his son, I'm reminded we do not live in fear. We do not live in the fear that one day God's going to say, Justin, you're a bonehead. I'm going to smite you right now. I don't live in that fear. I don't live in the fear that one day he's going to I'm going to wake up and God's not going to love me anymore. I don't live in the fear that one day, God, I'm going to wake up and he's just going to have left me and abandoned me. See, being a part of the family of God, being a son of God, is that we no longer now live by fear. Because we are his. None of my boys, regardless of what they do, have to fear that they're going to do something that's going to make them not my son. We get that on a human level. But how many times do we live in that fear when it comes to our Heavenly Father? None of my boys have to fear that they're going to be kicked out. They are my sons. That is who they are. And they do not need to live in fear that one day they're going to lose that. Instead, they operate, not in the spirit of fear, but they operate in a, in a spirit of love and acceptance because they're mine. You're his. You are his. Now, will they be disciplined? Yes, they will be. Why? Because I love them a lot. I love them a lot. As a child of God, will you be disciplined? Yes. 
you will. And it's not a sign that he doesn't love you. Why would he discipline you? Because he loves you. So we do not operate from fear. Fear is not our motivation. We operate from a place of love and acceptance as a son and a daughter of God. That's how we and where we operate. See, the, the fear is a mark that we are on the pathway of the flesh. Paul says, don't fall back into that. You're on a new path. You're on a new path. Which, which, which leads us to the second point, and that is this. We're gonna talk now about our relationship as sons and daughters of God. Um, Our motivation is love. Why? Because our relationship as sons and daughters of God. Listen to this. Paul says, "By but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Um, if you grew up in church, chances are you've heard this term, Abba, Abba, Father. Um, by the way, it's not the same as the, the band Abba, totally different meaning of Abba. I actually looked that up. I was like, where did Abba get their name? Has nothing to do with scripture. I digress. Okay. Abba, though, is a Greek word that comes from a Hebrew word, and, and it, it's an intimate way, an intimate address to a father. Uh, some have translated it as kind of this idea of Daddy. Um, I personally don't believe we should go that far with translating it that way. Um, However, I get why. I get why. Um, The name here, Abba, expresses an intimate relationship. It expresses the comfort that comes from an intimate relationship. The comfort that comes from a childlike affection. And that's where the word daddy makes sense. But it's not only that. It's the comfort that also comes from the fact of a real relationship with the sovereign God of the universe. Let me, let me unpack that. In other words, it's like a child who is comforted that their dad is here so they don't need to be afraid anymore. That the dad is in control. That the dad will protect them. It, it, the fact that we are able to cry out to God like this and say, Abba, Father, knowing he is there, having that relationship that he is there, is mind-blowing, because who am I to come to God like that? Who are you to come to God like that, to approach him with Abba? Blows my mind. It just, it blows my mind. But Paul reminds me who I am. I'm a son of God. We are sons, we are daughters of God. We are loved and adopted. And through Abba, Paul reminds us of the relationship that we have with our sovereign father. And notice how this builds. We have our motivation as a son and a daughter of God, which kind of flows from the relationship that we have as a son and a daughter of God. And that relationship, our relationship, is grounded and flows from the third thing that we see, which is this, our identity as sons and as daughters of God, our identity. Paul says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Here's the cool thing about adoption. 
The cool thing about adoption is that it's not about the child's choice. It's not about the child earning something or doing something. It's not about the child's choice. That's true for adoption today, and it was certainly true for adoption in the first century Roman world. It's not about the child's choice. Adoption is about the choice and the will of the father who would choose to adopt the child. And upon that choice, what would happen? It would become a legal reality. It would become a legal reality. There'd be a name change. There'd be an identity change. The father would choose to adopt and that son would become a son, fully recognized as a son with all the rights and all the privileges that come with being a son. Because of adoption, the identity of the child would change forever. Child. There is a fundamental change in identity. See, Paul uses this idea of adoption. He uses this idea of adoption to communicate what God, the Father, through the work of the Son and the power of the Spirit has done. Paul uses the concept of adoption to show us who we are in our new identity. See, we no longer need to wonder or fear who we are or, or, or about who we are. We no longer need to try to create some kind of identity for who we are. We are a child of God, adopted child of God of the universe. This is who you are in Christ. How can we cry, Abba, Father? How can we have a relationship with our God like this? Well, it's because your fundamental identity has changed. You're a child and you might hear that and you might be thinking, but how do I know that, Pastor? How do I know that? How can I know for sure that you're talking about me? How can I know for sure that I am a child of God, that I have that relationship, that identity? How can I have assurance like that of who I am? Well, Paul says this. Listen to this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. That we are children of God. This brings us to the fourth thing, which is our assurance as sons and daughters of God. What is assurance? Assurance is knowing that you know that you know that you know that you're a child of God. That's what assurance is. Knowing that you know that you know that you're his son, you're his daughter. So how can we have assurance? How can you have assurance? Paul says this, the spirit himself bears witness in our spirit, that we are in fact children of God. I gotta be honest, I had a huge aha moment this week. Huge. Um, I was praying and I was working through this, how to preach this portion, this idea of assurance, and I was asking God, how can I, how can you use me to help provide our church with assurance that they're children of God? Like, how can I do that? And um, <laughs> it's like God just hit me over the head through this scripture, and um, Stop it. So, kind of what I heard. Um, just tell them the truth. And um, I realized that it's not my job to give you assurance. It's not my job to give you assurance of who you are. It's my job to bear witness to the one who does give you that assurance that you are a child of God. 
My job is to preach the truth and to bear witness to the Spirit, to tell you the truth about the Spirit of God. In other words, it's my job to bear witness to the one who bears witness to your soul that you are a child of God. That's where assurance comes from. It's like God was telling me, Justin, stop trying to do my job and just tell them the truth about me and let me do my work. Pastors need to be reminded of that a lot, actually. Um, It was like God was saying, let me provide Stone Oak Bible Church the assurance. Let me provide the assurance. Let me minister to their heart that they are mine. How can we have assurance? How can I know that I'm a son or a daughter of God? Church, assurance comes from the Spirit of God. It comes from God himself, the Spirit bearing witness with your spirit. And, and we know, I am his. I am his. Some of you, as we, even in reading this scripture, even in working through this scripture, you're getting this resounding comfort in your heart. Some of you are getting a little amped up on the inside right now. Why? Well, it's because the Spirit's doing what he said he was going to do. He's bearing witness with your heart that you are a child of God. And that work will go far beyond any words that come out of my mouth. That the Spirit is doing a work, that's assurance. Assurance in Christ is the result of the Spirit bearing witness in us, Paul says. So we've seen our motivation, our relationship, our identity, and our assurance. Now we're going to continue here, and Paul says this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then listen to this. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So let's talk about our inheritance this morning. Our inheritance as sons and daughters of God. Um, Again, I have three boys and they are all awesome. Um... We, uh, my middle son, and I did specifically ask if it was okay if I shared this. Uh, his name's Matthias. Um, and uh, we had the great joy of adopting him from Ethiopia. And um, in fact, last Monday, we celebrated seven years of him being in our home and just incredible what God has done. Um, here's the reality. Matthias is my fully my son, and he has all the rights and all of the privileges of being my child. Every one of them. He is an heir, just like his brothers. He's an heir. And as much as this is true for adoption today, um, this is just as true as it was in the first century world. In the, in the Roman world, um, adoption carries massive significance. Massive significance. For example, I'm reading a book because I'm a nerd of um, past Roman emperors and their personalities. I told you I'm a nerd. Um, and I could not believe how many even emperors, right, were, were, would adopt in order to pass on their wealth in their position, their power. Uh, in fact, some of the most famous emperors 
that you have ever heard of or maybe you haven't heard of. The one I was reading about is Marcus Aurelius, and, and it, he was adopted. He was adopted, and adoption was the way to pass on the inheritance, to pass on as an heir, um, to give them an inheritance. And I think about that in light of this, this scripture. And Christ said, we are the heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And so here's what this does to me. Here's what this does in me. Um, call this to mind. Whenever you are tempted to, in your flesh, to settle for lesser things. Whenever you are tempted the enemy tempts you with the, the distractions and the things of this world and to chase and to chase and to chase. Whenever this world, the flesh, starts to get this grip on us, call this to mind. You are the heir of God. <laughs> fellow heirs with Christ, just as my son Matthias is fellow heirs with his brothers. You're a fellow heir with Christ. Just as Marcus Aurelius was an heir and received all the privileges and all of the, the position of the emperor of Rome through adoption. Church, you are the heirs of God. This means sonship. This means eternal life. Life abundantly. Life eternally. Eternal security. Justification. Sanctification. Glorification. Resurrection. These are yours. This is your inheritance. This is yours in, in, in Christ because you are heirs of God, adopted by God. And again, not because you loved him first. No, but because God chose you and loved you, sent his son for you, made you thirsty and then gave you drink. God loved you first and then gave you a new heart so that you can now love him back. Church, this is your inheritance. You are the heir of God. You are the heir of God. So we've talked about our motivation, our relationship, identity, assurance, our inheritance as sons and daughters. Now, church, we come to the final two things. And both of them come in this final verse of our text. Paul says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, let's listen to this. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Uh, if you were with us last week, when we looked at uh, verses 9 through 11, we saw three if statements, if you remember that. And I said that in these if statements, they're not really truly if statements. They're not these conditions like, well, we'll see. It wasn't that. It was kind of a sense statement. It was an if-in-fact statement. So these statements weren't up in the air. They were, they were more sense statements. And for more on that, I encourage you, if you missed it, listen back last week. We go into that in a lot more detail. But the reason I bring it up this morning, this is cool. Again, I'm a nerd. I, I geek out on things that normal people probably don't. Um, but you see that word provided here in the text? That word provided, guess what? It's the same if word. The same one. It's the same one that is translated as if in the text before this is now translated provided. Isn't that cool? It's the same 
it's the same sense. It's the same if in fact statement here translated here as provided, meaning it's not just this condition. It's a if in fact statement. If in fact statement. In other words, it's this if in fact statement. And what is the, 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 the fact statement? It's suffering. It's, it's suffering. So let's talk about our suffering as sons and daughters of God. Um, because listen, we cannot preach Christianity without a cross. Part of Christianity, part of following Christ is joining Christ in his suffering. We sang about it this morning. In fact, Jesus told you this. He said, in this world, you will face trials and troubles and tribulation. Jesus told you this. Yet, how many know that expectations are so important? I, uh, it's easy to catch yourself getting discouraged so many times when, when expectations just aren't met. And I think there are many who are expecting that their best life is now. They're, they're expecting heaven to be here. They're expecting no more suffering. They're expecting ease. And when it doesn't happen, do you know what? We think, what is wrong with me? Do I not have enough faith? Did I not give enough? Did I not do enough? Like, what is wrong with me? It's not working. I, I do all this and then I, bleh. has he forgotten me? Am I just, and of course, of course that's not the reality because as we said, Jesus told you, hey, hey, this is gonna happen. This is going to happen. And he also said, when it does take heart, he said he's going to be here with us through it all. He's going to hold us through it all. When we expect our best life now, you will be discouraged. You will be. Our promise is that Christ will never abandon us through the trials, that he's working all things together for the good. Our promise is that we can do all things through Christ, meaning we can endure all things through Christ who strengthens us and that the best life is not here. It's coming. It's coming. We rejoice in Christ today and we will rejoice with Christ in perfection then and until then. I want to tell you this because it helps set good expectations. The Christian life is not an easy life. It's not. It is, it is not. It is not the life that is free of struggle and trial. Um, in this life, you get the great privilege of becoming like Christ in his sufferings. In his suffering, but also in his life and in his resurrection. Christianity involves a cross and in your suffering, I, I, you need to know you're not alone. You're a son, you're a daughter of God. You're not alone. You're not abandoned. You're not without purpose. Your God is in control. He's working it to all for his glory and for our good. Today we will face trials. Today we will go through sufferings. But one day, one day, our suffering will be no more. Our suffering will, will turn into something else. And you know what it's going to turn into? Our text says it. Glorification. So let's talk about our glorification as sons and as daughters of God. Listen again, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, 
in order that we may also be glorified with him. Like a runner who endures pain in order to cross the finish line and receive the prize. Paul says we run to receive the prize. And at the end of the race, church, we will be glorified with Christ. Glorification, by the way, is a theological word that points us to our future. It's uh, God's final removal of all sin from our lives for all eternity. Instead of, in other words, being mortal beings burdened with a sin nature and flesh, we'll be changed into holy immortals with direct and unhindered access to the presence of our God. And we're going to enjoy communion with him for all eternity. Glorification, church, is the final step in sanctification. It's that final step. It's what we long for. And here's the promise. This first first path here, this flesh, what's the final step? The final step is death. That's the final step. Over here in the spirit, what's the final step? (laughs) Glorification. Glorification. It leads to this glorification with Christ, life in Christ. This means to, this is what it means to be a child of God. That we have a new motivation, not one of fear, but love. That we have a new relationship, one of intimacy as a son of God, a daughter of God, that comes out of the fact that we have a new identity, that we are adopted sons and daughters of the almighty God. In addition, now we have this sense of assurance that, that is given to us directly from our God through his spirit working on us, his children. We are heirs. We have an inheritance that is ours in Christ and his children today. We face trials. We suffer as Christ suffered, believing and trusting that our God is in control, that he is sovereign, and that it will all be worth it. Because one day our race will be complete. And we'll be glorified with Christ for all eternity. Church, this is, what, this is what it means to be on this path. This is what it means to be on this path. It means you're a child of God. That means that you are indwelled by the Spirit. That is the Christian life that Paul is painting for us to walk. Let me pray for us. Lord, would you do your work in these moments of applying your word to our hearts? Would you, through your spirit, do your work on on us who are your children, who, who have responded to Christ in faith? Would you, in this moment, provide that assurance that your word is talked about. Would you draw us to yourself? Would you show us that, that the, the, the path we're on, 
even through the trials, will be worth it because we are yours today and will be yours forever. That this path leads us to glorification. Would you, would you show us that? Would you strengthen our confidence in who we are and where we are headed on this path? And God, I, I pray for my, my friends here and who are listening to this, who, who in this moment, your spirit is convicting them that they are not on the path of the spirit, but they are in fact on the path of the flesh. Lord, your conviction is a gift. And I pray that in this moment you would convict our hearts so that we will turn to you and repent and believe and trust in Christ for our salvation. That we will get off of the path that we were on and that your spirit would, would draw us and pull us, that you would adopt us into your family and place us on the path of sonship. God, I pray that you would do that work right now in this moment for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.